bitterness. Bitterness. Uh, for some reason, there are people that go through life and their mind is bombarded with negative thoughts that tell them that somebody owes them something. Um, they did not have an, uh, a, a perfect childhood. Somehow they were abused or they got a lack of love from a parent or maybe one of the parents walked out of them and they think that that parent owes them something. Uh, they worked hard at a job and they were hoping to get a promotion and somebody else got it and they think that boss owes them something and they are living offended, they're living with hurt on the inside, they're confused, they went through a, a tragic divorce, they went through um, a time in life where a friend betrayed them, they lost some money in a business deal and they think if God is so good, why did he let this happen to me? It stops them from going to church, it stops them from serving freely in life, it stops them from giving to others, and for some reason, they believe in their twisted mind that God told us somewhere in the Bible that we are supposed to float on clouds and everything's going to be perfect in life and nothing bad's going to happen, but that is not true. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust, and that means that even if you come to church and even if you serve and even if you give in the offering and even if you smile and you're kind and you're doing your best to live with integrity, rain is still going to fall on your life. Negative things are still going to happen. It's just a part of life, whether it's an attack from the enemy, whether it's God setting you up with a Goliath to be promoted in life, but bad things will come. And if there's any three words I want you to get today, these three words can change a Christian's life. These three words can cause God to bring promotion in your future. These three words can help your relationships and help you at work. And those three words are get over it. The betrayal that happened to you through that friend, get over it. The thing that you did wrong, you, maybe you, you got pregnant and you had an abortion years ago, get over it. Maybe somehow you stole from somebody and you did them wrong, get over it. Maybe somebody walked out on you, get over it. Maybe somebody offended you, get over it. If somebody hurt your feelings 30 minutes ago, by now you should have already gotten over it. Don't go through life being contaminated on the inside. Don't go through life expecting great things to happen when your heart is corroded with bitterness, resentment, anger, frustration, all because you don't know how to get over it. I say it very, very respectfully. I am not trying to offend you. I'm not trying to make light of what you went through. If you went through some awful tragedy just a few weeks ago, then this sermon is not for you. I'm talking about people that got offended last week. They need to get over it. I'm talking about people that went through a tragic event years ago. It's time to get over it. If you do not get over it, you're going to be stuck on this page in your life, never seeing the pages that are supposed to come after in the book of your life. You wonder why negative things keep happening to you. You wonder why you're not getting promotion or rewarded in life. You're wondering why you're not seeing God's favor. It's not the enemy's fault. It's not God's fault. And it's not the person's fault that did you wrong. It's your fault if you don't know how to do what? Get over it. Hebrews 12, 15 says, don't allow a bitter root to spring up and many become contaminated by its poison. Um, the way I like to think about that is this. I have a garden outside of my house, and no matter what I plant in that garden, if I allow it to stay in that garden, it is going to get deeper and deeper and deeper roots, and it's eventually going to spring up on the outside. And the thing I find about a bitter root is bitter root will always produce a bitter fruit in your life. 
It's just like how you, you go and drink a hot cup of coffee in the morning, you take one little sip and then another sip. That's how it is when negative things happen. When somebody gossips about you and now you just can't get over it and you overanalyze the whole situation, you've taken a sip of poison from the enemy. Whenever you think about that betrayal and you're talking to your friends at lunchtime about it, and I can't believe they did this to me and how awful was that, you're taking another sip of poison. When you lay in bed at night and you think about, man, I can't believe I made that mistake and I can't believe these people walked out of me and I can't believe I lost my job and I saved up all this money and I thought I was going to retire. You are drinking a cup of poison and it's nobody else's fault. I would love to try to blame it on somebody else because what I'm telling you today is not an easy thing to do. It is a necessity if you're going to fulfill your God-given destiny. You have to be able to get over it because what is on the inside will eventually come out. No matter what it is you plant on the inside, no matter what it is that's going on inside of your heart, whether it's anger, frustration, you want to get somebody back, you want to talk bad about them because they talk bad about you, if you don't get over it, that bitter root's going to take um, a root inside of the garden of your heart and it'll spring forth the wrong things. And some of you think the things that you're going through in life right now are somebody else's fault. Your parents, they raised you wrong, they shouldn't have done that. Your dad didn't give you love like your friend's dad gave their their. Your, your friend's dad gave their child love or you didn't get the inheritance you wanted to get and someone else did or you had a relationship you thought it was going to be perfect and now it's not and the whole thing blew up and you think that they owe you an apology they owe you money maybe you'll feel better if they hurt the way you hurt but you have to learn how to do this simple thing and get over it um, I read years ago about this um, tribe in Africa that was all dying. There was some kind of disease or something among them and just one after the other from seniors all the way to children just passing away day after day. So the United States sent some scientists and some researchers over to Africa to examine that tribe and they studied all the people and they discovered the problem was with the water supply. So they went to the stream and they walked all the way to the very source of the stream where it came from the mountain and on the outside it looked perfect. On top of the water, everything was fine. The trees were growing. The sun was shining. The water looked to be pure. So they sent some divers down to the bottom of that stream, the source of it, and they found this huge dead pig that had somehow got wedged at the very bottom of the stream. And now because of that dead animal, all this water that is flowing out to this tribe has become contaminated and people were getting hurt. They simply removed the dead pig, and now all that beautiful stream of water had become perfectly crystal clear once again. It says in Proverbs 4.23 that we are to guard our heart because out of our heart flows the issues of life. If your stream has been contaminated by pain, if your stream has been contaminated by somebody that did you wrong, if your stream has been contaminated by guilt, no matter what else happens in life, it's going to affect every single area. You have to get over it and remove the dead pig. If you allow the dead pig to stay in there, it affects your relationships, it affects the way you view God, it affects your church family, it affects the amount that you serve and give, it affects everything. Out of our heart flows all the issues we're going through. It doesn't say out of your neighbor's heart flow your issues, out of your spouse's heart flow your issues, out of your enemy's heart flow your issues, out of the president's heart flow your issues. It says out of your heart. In other words, all the issues you have in life 
have happened down here. They've started in here. You know, each one of our sermon series that we're on, there's, there's a, a result for having stinking thinking in certain areas. If your stinking thinking is critical, like we talked about last week, the result is there's not mercy for you. If, there's, if your stinking thinking is, um, is fear, then it's going to keep you where you're at and you never step out in faith and see God do new things. If your stinking thinking is discouragement, it'll keep you in your home and you'll never want to go out and make new friends. There's a, there's, a, there's a result for every area of stinking thinking. If your stinking thinking is bitterness, if your thoughts are that someone owes you something, how could this happen, and your thought pattern is from the past and how bad it was, that is going to actually affect every area of your life because the stinking thinking area of bitterness is a root that is planted in your heart. You have to pull up that root and it's not easy. It's not easy to stop overanalyzing it. It's not easy to stop talking about it. It's not easy to go forward when that person that did you wrong is so happy and blessed. But you have to do it not for their sake. You do it for your own sake. Genesis 37, um, in that entire chapter, Joseph, a great man of God, was sold into slavery by his brothers. His teenage years were stolen from him. His innocence was gone. His, this should have been the fun time of his life. This should have been when he was out having fun, going on the boulevard, driving his truck around and that kind of thing. But Joseph didn't do that. He was sold into slavery by his own family. His own family betrayed him. He could have gotten bitter. That would have been a huge dead pig in the bottom of his, of his well, of his stream, but he chose to get over it and move forward. In Genesis 39, Joseph was thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. Just one more dead pig thrown at the bottom of his well. He decided to remove that and keep on going forward to the next chapter of his life. Two chapters later, Genesis 40, Joseph interpreted a dream from one of the prisoners that was in jail with him. He, um, this prisoner had a dream and Joseph had a gift of interpretation of dreams. And so he discovered that because of this dream that this guy had, that it was a way for this guy to be pardoned and get out of jail and be part of the king's servants. And so Joseph said, I'll tell you what your dream means, but here's what I'll, only if you promise whenever you get out of jail, because of what I'm about to tell you, and you get put back in your position, you put in a good word for me. Help me get out of jail as well. They agreed. Joseph told him what the dream meant. The guy gets out of jail. And in Genesis 40, 23, it says, yet even after all that, the servant gave no thought to Joseph and forgot all about him. How many times have you helped out a family member or a friend? You gave them money, you answered the freaking phone at midnight when they were crying their eyes out over something stupid when you could have been sleeping and doing your thing. You let them come over to your house, you feed them your food, you take care of them, you encourage them, you pray with them. You might even quote a stinking scripture to them to make them feel better and then... When you need help, then when you need money, then when you need encouragement, then when you need a friend, they're nowhere to be found. You talk about having a sour taste in your mouth. You talk about easily getting bitter. Man, this root could have grown so deep in Joseph's heart, but he learned how to do what I'm telling you to do. He learned how to get over it. He knew the only person that could actually pay him back would be God. Bitterness stops God's flow of favor in our life. If there's any area of stinking thinking that stops people from serving God, it's this, bitterness. They get offended, they're hurt, 
they're confused, they don't like something, they overanalyze it, they talk about it, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, they drink more of the poison, and they stop using their gifts and talents for God. Um, Joseph had a gift of interpreting dreams, just like you have a gift of singing or leading or praying or teaching or encouraging or organizing, administrating, bringing peace. Everybody has different gifts. Joseph's was interpreting dreams. He could have said, you know what? My own family sold me into slavery. I'm not going to use what God's given me but he got over it. Then he could have said, you know what? Um, I was accused of a crime I didn't commit, so I am not going to interpret dreams for anybody anymore. God, I'm done. But he got over it. Then he did it for his friend in jail, and the guy betrayed me. God, that said, I am done. No more, no matter what. I'm not going to church. I'm not giving. I'm not serving. I'm not interpreting dreams. But Joseph learned the secret of getting over it. And one day, Pharaoh had a dream. The man in charge of all of Egypt, king of the nation, had a dream. And guess who used their gift to interpret the dream? Joseph. Genesis 41, 41, Pharaoh said, Joseph, I'm going to put you in charge of all of Egypt. What if Joseph's heart was too bitter to serve God? What if his heart was too bitter to give? What if he could find all the reasons, man, I'm not giving that church money. They'll just buy more lights with it. I'm not going to teach Sunday school. Nobody listens to me anyway. I'm not going to sing in the choir because they don't thank me enough. You got bitter, 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 bitter root on the inside. You got sour taste coming out of your mouth. Get over it. Get over it. If somebody took your seat earlier today, get over it. If I didn't greet you during take five, get over it. If you're ugly, get over it. Just get over it. <laughs> that applied to the 1130 service, not y'all, so don't worry. Don't worry. So one of the things I love about the story, the life of Joseph, actually my favorite thing about Joseph's entire life, was just a few verses later, after Joseph went from the prison to the palace, something amazing happened. He had two children. He had one, and then he had another after. It wasn't twins. It was one and then another. And here's the order. Watch this. Genesis 41, 51. He had two sons. The first one was named Manasseh. That means to forget. Then a little bit later, Joseph had another son, named him Ephraim, which means double prosperity. Listen. You will never give birth to an Ephraim until you first give birth to a Manasseh. You will never give birth to an Ephraim, double prosperity that God brings in your life, until you first give birth to Manasseh. Forget about it, stop going over it, let it go, and get over it. Many people today, they pray, they want so bad to have the Ephraim in their life, they want the double prosperity, they want the blessing, they want the reward, they want to come out, but they refuse to get over it. They refuse to let it go. They refuse to forget about it. We'll never have an Ephraim without first having a Manasseh. Matthew 6, 12 says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The reason it says debts here is because we feel like when somebody does us wrong, they owe us something. You hurt me, you owe me. You left me, you owe me. You stole from me, you owe me. But here's the thing. No person can pay you back the way God can. God's the only one that can ultimately pay you back. You have to get on God's payroll, in other words. Isaiah 61, 7 says, instead of your shame, you have a twofold recompense. You need to picture every time you get over it that God pulls out this big rubber stamp and stamps it on your forehead, and it says, paid in full. Get on God's payroll. Let it go. This past um, week, I, 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 I like to exercise every day. I run and I work out every day, and that's my best sermons. Man, if y'all could get in my head when I'm running, 
I mean, the sermons are 10 times better than what you hear here. I mean, I, sermons are so good. There's thousands and thousands of people just enjoying the presence of God and getting fed in my head when I'm running. And it's just so good. Okay, way better than this. Way better than this. Anyway, if I could have church in my head, we'd be great. But anyway, here's how it goes. So I'm, I was about to go exercise. This is my, my special time. This is my fun time. And I'm, I'm leaving my driveway and an old friend pulls up in my driveway. And they pull, uh, old friend pulls up. And they say, get in my car. And I thought, okay, well, maybe this is going to be good. I thought, I thought they'd be nice. I thought they were going to say something very kind and sweet. Uh, I hadn't, you know, we hadn't really talked in a long, 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 long time. And they began to criticize me and say, I can't believe you did this and what's wrong with you. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you're in my driveway and you're criticizing me. So I got out of the car. I was done with it. And then I went to go run and work out. And so I was talking to Mark. And I said, Mark, you won't believe what this person said to me. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write them an email. And here's what I'm going to say. And I actually prefaced my conversation with Mark, I said, I'm going to tell you something. I don't want you to talk back. Just listen. Don't say anything back to me. I'm just going to talk. I said, I'm going to write him an email, and here's what I'm going to say. And I said, I'm going to say this and 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 this. And then we went to lunch, and I said, in fact, I'm going to send you the email first, and you tell me if it's good and what I should change. I'll let you talk now. And so I wrote the email out and sent it to him, and he said, oh, this is the most horrible thing in the world. I said, no, I need to let them know that this was wrong. I need to let them know that they hurt me. I need to let them know that they shouldn't have done this. This was ungodly. He said, no, and he said three words to me. What were those three words he said? He said, get over it. I said, you get over it. I'll get over it after I write the email. I feel so much better then. You know, easy, I could get over it if I could write the email. And so then I wrote a second one tomorrow. I said, how about this? This, I didn't do this in here. He said, no, you got to get over it. And thank God, because I, I think it's the only reason I got over it, because I'm preaching this sermon today. If I didn't preach on something else, I would have written that email. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I learned how to get over it, and I'm very, very glad that I did. Psalms 139.16 says, before I was born, God, you had written in your book everything that I would do. Okay, listen, there's a book written in heaven with your life story in it. The good news is that the ending is great. The bad news is, is that some of y'all been stuck on the wrong chapter much, much too long. God's been waiting to turn the page and see what's on the, and he knows on the next page there's a reward. He knows that no bad season lasts forever. He knows that winter never stays here all year long. God knows what's going to happen in that next chapter and that next page, but you refuse to let the page turn. You're staying right where you're at, and God's saying, oh man, if you could just get to this next chapter, you'd be so excited. This past week I watched, um, you know, the Hunger Games and the, um, Cat, the Mockingjay and that famous book series and movie series. I watched the very last movie. It's like four of them, I think. I watched the last one, and the girl wins in the end, and she's victorious, and she conquers the enemy, and it was a great movie, but the problem was you got to see part one, two, and three to see that she went through hell to get there, and some of y'all are stuck on part one, two, or three. You're stuck on going through the hell part and God's saying it's over, it's done, leave it, let it go, get over it. Because if you just get to part four in your life, you would see the blessings come, the rewards come. It'll be better than anything you lost in part one, two, or three. The problem is this, we are responsible for turning the page. God can't turn the page for us. We're responsible. We got to do like Joseph and turn the page of where our family betrayed us, turn the page of where we lost something we love, turn the page of where our friend turned their back on us so we can get to that part where we get from the prison all the way to the palace. You're never going to have the Ephraim without having the Manasseh first. You got to get over it. Look at the person next to you and say, get over it. 
get over it. Man, this is a way better sermon than what y'all are acting like. This is a way good sermon. You're like, John Paul, get over it. Get over that sermon. Be done with it. Okay, here we go. Romans 8.28 says this. All things work together for good to them that love God. There's two key words in this scripture. The key words are all. Everybody say all and say together. Those are the two key words. Now, you can't isolate one negative part of your life and say your life was bad because of that. You can't isolate the divorce. You can't isolate the losing money. You can't isolate losing a child. You can't isolate the friend that messed you up and talked about you and gossiped about you. You can't isolate the one negative and say, nope, my life's not good. God said it was going to be good, but it's not good. No, you can't isolate. That's just one event in your entire book. Once you keep turning the page and turning the page and turning the page, when you get to the end, you'll see that all the ingredients together Make sure that God's word was true and that all those who love him had their life work together for good. You got to wait for all the ingredients to come in. That one thing may not have been good, but God sees the entire life story. And that's where the scripture comes from. I had a friend um, years ago that made me a pumpkin pie. She was very, very excited about it. I, I love pie. If you ever want to do something special for me, make me a pie. And... Um, so she handed me the pumpkin pie, and she was excited to see me try it, because it was the first time she made one, and so I um, got a fork out, and I put it in the pie, and I stuck it in my mouth, and I tried my best to smile. It was so difficult, because it was incredibly bitter. It was so sour. It was very nasty. She could tell that I was kind of faking it, and so she went to take it. I said, no, 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 don't take a bite. I'll take it home. She said, no, no, I'm taking it. So she took a bite of it and put it in her mouth, and she spit hers out. I thought, well, at least I'm not, you know, the only one that's not that bad. Anyway, I said, well, what happened? And she went over her ingredients and she discovered she left out sugar. Now listen, I know Ooh is right. If you make me anything in life, you can leave out any ingredient you want to, just don't leave out the sugar. I would rather you hand me a cup of sugar than make me something that doesn't have sugar in it. I'd rather just eat the sugar. I love sugar. So she let, here's, the, here's the problem. A lot of people today are so bitter because they haven't waited for God to add the next ingredient. They're bitter because of their financial situation. They're bitter because of their health. They're bitter because of their marriage. But all God has to do is add one ingredient and everything that tastes sour in life can become sweet once again. All God has to do is add that one ingredient of favor. That one ingredient of the right door that opens. That one ingredient of that perfect person that comes into your life. That one ingredient of that business deal. That one ingredient of that idea. All God has to do is add one ingredient. And everything that was once sour and bitter will become sweet once again. But we have to do our part and get over it. In Exodus um, chapter 15, Moses and the Israelites had been in the desert for three days. I mean, everything uh, was hot, it was, it was nasty, everything was dry, and they had no water. Three days, desert, two million people, no water. Then all of a sudden, they saw this river in the middle of the desert. I mean, in the middle of the desert, they were amazed. And I can picture two million people running as fast as they can, and Charlton Heston's hair is just blowing in the wind, and he's like, you darn dirty apes, let's go jump in the water. And so all of a sudden, they jumped inside the water, and it says in verse 23, when they finally found water, it was so bitter, they couldn't drink. Have you ever come to a place in life where you thought your dream had come true? You thought everything was going to be perfect. You thought this was all you had ever prayed for and wanted. And then something happens. And now everything in life is bitter. 
You thought you were going to be able to retire, but then one of your kids needed help and you lost all that money and now the water's bitter. You thought you were going to have a baby, you got pregnant, but there was a miscarriage. You couldn't carry it full term and now the water is bitter. You had 20 years of your life planned out and everything was going to go according to your plan and then somebody somehow did something wrong and now your life is bitter. The good news is all God has to do is add one ingredient and everything that was once sour can become sweet again. In verse 25, the Lord told Moses, just throw a piece of wood into the water and the water became sweet. God says, I still have a plan. I still have an ingredient. Don't say your life is bad. Don't get stuck on this chapter. Don't refuse to turn the page. Don't think you're going to have an Ephraim until you learn how to get over it. And then you'll see me put that ingredient that can change your life. In Chinese, the word crisis is made up of two different symbols, two different words. The two words are danger and opportunity. Because in every crisis, there's danger to get bitter, danger to get sour, danger to stop serving God, danger to be contaminated. But there's also opportunity. Opportunity to experience the twofold recompense that God has waiting on you. Opportunity to let that be a seed for God to thrust you to a new level. Opportunity for God to do something so great in your life it would have never happened had you not gone through the crisis. Joseph would have never been put in charge of Egypt had he not been sold into slavery, then sent to prison for a crime he didn't commit, then used his gift to help other people. And because he stayed fruitful in the tough times, God took him to a place he would have never gotten to had he not gone through that negative stuff. Isaiah 43, 18 says, forget what happened yesterday. Don't keep going over old history. I'm doing something new. Now it is starting. You say, well, man, if only my family hadn't done me wrong, like Joseph, get over it. If only I hadn't been sold into slavery, get over it. If I only hadn't lost money, get over it. If I only want single, I want to be married, get over it. I'm poor and I want to be rich, get over it. I'm white, I'm black, I'm Mexican, I'm Asian, get over it. God, none of those things are a surprise to God. Man, if I hadn't lost my job, if I had more education, if I had just gone to college, if I hadn't had kids so early, if I hadn't had kids so late, get over it. If I hadn't been from the slums, if I hadn't been from Canada, if I hadn't been from Aner, we'll pray for you if that's the case. But either way, Ecclesiastes 3.6 says there's a time to dance, a time to mourn, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to let go, a time to hold on, a time to get, a time to lose, and a time to get over it. Maybe your time is today. Is there something in your life you have to get over? You have to let go of. I'll close, but I know you heard about the um, mountain climber that was in the remote section of Utah climbing through a canyon. They made a movie about it called 127 Hours. This guy was climbing all by himself, and um, he didn't have a cell phone or anything with him, and here he is out there in the middle of nowhere, and somehow his arm gets trapped underneath an 800-pound boulder. And he's stuck there, can't move, he's screaming for help, nobody's around. So he takes out his pocket knife and he begins to chisel around the rock, trying to loosen it up so he can get out of there. Doesn't work. On the second day, he decides to somehow manage to get his climbing equipment and try to, you know, somehow force the rock out the way, didn't budge an inch. Day three, day four, by day five, he lost all of his water, he lost all of his food, he had nothing left, and his arm was completely black, there was no blood flowing through it, he couldn't feel it anymore, his arm was dead, and he knew the only way he would be able to survive 
was if he cut off his own arm. So believe it or not, this young man pulled out a pocket knife and he amputated his own arm. Then he walked two miles until he finally found help, was saved, and they took him and took care of him. Now here's the point I want you to see. In life, we're all going to come to a place where there's something attached to us that is dead. Something that is not intended to stay with you any longer. Something that used to have life. It used to have strength. It used to give you joy. But now it's over, it's done, and it's gone. And as hard as it may be, as difficult as it may be, we only have two choices. I thought this through very, very clearly. I wish there was a third option. But there's only two choices when you go through something in life that's tragic, that's painful, that's hard, that's difficult. Only two choices. One, you stay on that page. You stay in the middle of that chapter. You leave the dead pig in the stream and you allow that dead thing to contaminate the rest of you and you die in that chapter in life. You may not die physically, but spiritually, mentally, emotionally, you're just dead. You just stay there forever. Or, as hard as it is, as much as you don't want to, and as difficult as it may seem, you pull out a pocket knife and you cut 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 and you you walk away free to the future that God has for you. You say, man, what kind of future can I have if I have to go through something like that? You might not be able to see all the ingredients right now, but once you move forward, you'll see what God has in store. Last story, and I'll let you go. In Deuteronomy 34, Moses died. Don't put the scripture up yet. Thank you. Moses died, and he was 120 years old. Um, And everyone loved him. Moses was their leader. Moses was their confidant. Moses talked to God for them. He heard from God for them. Moses was everything to the Israelites. They loved this man, and now he's dead and gone. And so God gave them very specific instructions. He said, I'm only going to give you a certain time to mourn over your leader Moses. In Deuteronomy 34, 8, it says, The people wept for Moses for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning were over. Here's what God said. You went through a loss. You went through a tragic event. Something bad happened. I'm going to give you a certain amount of time, but then you have to get over it. You have to move forward. There was a huge problem in the camp. Two million people were willing to move forward, but there was one person, Moses' best friend, his second in command, Joshua. He did not want to stop mourning. Moses was everything. He missed him so much. He loved him so much. He didn't know how he could go on without Moses. The Bible refers to this, and in, in psychology as well, as codependency. Nowhere in the Bible, and I hate this point, that's why I'm ending with it, nowhere in the Bible does it say that any one person is supposed to meet all of our needs. That is God's job. And when you feel like you can't go forward unless this person comes with you, or you can't succeed unless this person likes you, or you can't be happy unless this person is on your side, that, my friends, is an idol. And we are told to never put anything before our God. So finally, God spoke very sternly in Joshua 1-2. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Why did God say that? Joshua knew he was dead. Joshua was there at the funeral. He probably preached the funeral. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, possess the promised land. Here's what God was saying. Joshua, there's a promised land waiting for you. 
There's everything you wanted. It's in the next chapter, but you have to be willing to turn the page. You got to be willing to remove the dead pig. The only way you're going to get there is if you decide to get over it. Paul the Apostle said, there's a lot of things that I battle, a lot of things I do wrong, but there's one thing I make sure I do. I forget what lies behind and I stretch forward to what lies ahead. Here's my question for you today. Is there something that you need to get over today? 